But if we are to be the light of the world, as our New Testament reading shows, we need the word to shine that light in us and through us. And so this morning we come to our sermon text. It is from John chapter 17, where we were last week as well. John 17 is a prayer of Jesus, the longest recorded words that Jesus prayed, and he's praying it the night before he dies. Last week, we looked at verses 1 through 5, kind of the first section of the prayer, where Jesus was praying that his Father would glorify him on the cross, as well as glorify him after the resurrection when he returned to heaven. But in verse 6, the focus shifts. Jesus had been thinking mostly about himself and the Father in verses 1 through 5, but beginning in verse 6, he starts praying for his disciples. Specifically, he's praying for those disciples who walked with him during those years of his ministry, that he had been living among these friends of his for three years. He had been teaching them. He had been sharing all of life together with them, caring for them. And that time of their closeness in this way was coming to an end. And so Jesus prays for them. What is it that Jesus prays for them? Well, that's what we see here in verses 6 through 19, that Jesus is specifically thinking about those disciples, but also all of his disciples yet to come. And so let us turn to John 17. We're going to look at verses 6 through 19 to hear what Jesus was praying for those who follow him. Here's what he prayed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you, for I have given them the words that you gave me. And they, re- they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours and yours are mine and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself 
that they also may be sanctified in truth. Let us pray. Lord, we do give thanks for Your Word. And we pray that we also would keep Your Word. That we would keep it in the sense that we would hear it rightly, that we would believe it truly, and that we would live it for Your glory. Oh Lord, I pray that You would please use me in spite of my sin, my weaknesses, my failures in so many ways to faithfully proclaim Your Word today, to clearly apply it to us and help it to be understandable, and that Your Word would go forth in the power of the Holy Spirit, and that You, O Spirit, would open ears to hear this Word, and that You would open hearts and minds that we would receive Your Word as it is, and so believe it and live by it, O God. May Your Word do the work that You have promised it will do in Your people as we come to You, O God. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, the big word that we are going to hear a lot this morning is consecration. Consecration. It's really not in the passage all that often. We only see it in one place, and it's referring to Jesus, not us. But the idea of consecration, which means that we are set apart for God. That's what consecration is. We are set apart for God. That idea is all throughout this passage. So if you want, in your bulletins, I've provided an outline. We're going to look at five different facets of this consecration, different ways we can see and understand what it means to be consecrated, to be set apart for God. And so that's what we're going to do this morning. And so first, we're going to start where our passage does with what I want to call the privilege of consecration. We see this in verses 6 through 10. Jesus is saying in those verses again and again how the disciples were given to him by the Father. We see that in verse 6. Yours they were, and you gave them to me. It's the dominant idea that the disciples, that God's people, belong to God. Because you can only give away what belongs to you. If I went out into the parking lot and I tried to give one of your cars away to someone else, you would be like, hey, you can't do that. I'm sorry, that's my car. It's not yours. It's not yours to give away. But Jesus here makes it very clear that his disciples belong to the Father and the Father gave them to him. He says in verse 10, all mine are yours and yours are mine. And he is trying to show us there is this great privilege of belonging to God. It's a privilege because Jesus is praying for those who belong to Him. He specifically says, I am not praying for everyone in the world indiscriminately. No, I'm praying for those who are mine. I care about those who are mine. And so we should be hearing this as a privilege, but I think if we were to read through verses 6 and 10, we might be a little more uncomfortable. We, we might not like what it's saying. We might not see it as a privilege. And that's because we are being talked about as things that are given. And we just aren't given by people to people very often. Now, infants are. 
A mother may be holding an infant and she may give him over to the father and the father may give him over to the grandmother, the grandfather. Like we give infants to and from people, but like us, grown people and even older kids, we don't give ourselves or give people to others. People are not ours to be given. About the only time we think in terms of giving someone is in a traditional marriage ceremony. When the minister says, who gives this woman to be married to this man? That's a very nice and sweet thing that really is only there because the bride wants dad to feel involved. It's true. Because, because no one is given away in marriage anymore. She decided she wanted to marry this guy. She's the one getting married. She's not being given in marriage. She's marrying her husband. But the Bible is very clear here that we are given. We are not choosing this first and foremost. Rather, we are being given that God is the creator of everyone and everything. And he has authority over us, just like the potter has authority over his works of clay. But God doesn't abuse that authority like some people do. He is not a cruel slave master conscripting us into brutal service. No, that's not who God is. He is a loving father who graciously adopts us in his love by giving us to his son, Jesus, that we might be saved in him. And when we think about it that way, there's there's really no greater privilege than to be given by our creator to our Savior, so that we might be consecrated as His people. And so there is a privilege to being set apart, to being treated differently as someone belonging to God. But then how? How are we set apart to live as God's people? Well, that's the means, the second facet, the means of consecration. And we see that in verse 17. Jesus says, Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Now, the word for sanctify is the exact same Greek word as consecrate. It's just, it can mean both things depending on the context. And so we are consecrated or sanctified by God's truth. That is how he sets us apart, by believing in the word. Notice in verses 6 through 10 what sets the believers, the disciples, apart from the world. It's that they believed in Jesus. Now, the disciples often get a bad rap because they do. They mess up a lot. They get stuff wrong. They misunderstand what Jesus is saying. And yet, they still recognize this is the Messiah. They still recognize this guy's from God. And so, as crazy as he sounds, as different and confusing as he may be, we're following him. And that made them stand out from the world. And so, Jesus prays that this word that sanctifies, that sets them apart, that they would stay, remain in that word. That's what he prays to the Father in verse 11. Keep them in your name. That phrase, in your name, pops up a few times, and it essentially means keep them in your word. Keep them in how you have revealed yourself in Jesus Christ. 
And so being consecrated means believing the word of God about who Jesus is and what he has done and why that matters. That is what sets us apart from the world. And that word us is important because the word of God sets us apart together. That's what we read about in verse 11. Keep them in your name that they may be one even as we are one. We're going to spend more time on that next week because verses 20 through 26, the rest of the chapter, deals far more with unity and oneness among believers of Jesus. We're going to kind of set that aside, but for now, note that truth unites. Truth does divide in some ways, but truth unites. That when all the players on a football team go out on the field, if they know the truth of the play that they are running, they will likely have success because they are all working together with the same idea of what we're doing. If you send 11 guys out on the field and each of them are thinking about a different play, it's going to be a disaster. The fact that they do not have a truth that is uniting them is going to be their downfall. And so similarly, as followers of Jesus, we are sanctified, we are set apart together by these same core truths of the gospel. That we are different in the same way because of the word of God that sets us apart, that consecrates us as God's people. But this word of God that sets us apart is the very thing the world hates. And so the third facet of consecration is the challenge of consecration. In verse 14, we read, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. We've seen a few weeks ago, Jesus warned his disciples, the world is going to hate you. And he returns to that warning here, that the world will hate Jesus' followers because of the truth that they believe in. The world rejects God as its king, and it despises anyone who sees God that way. As long as someone is willing to conform to the world's way of doing things, the world is not going to utterly hate that person. Even if they totally disagree with them on all other things. You at least are operating by the ways of the world. But anyone who stands out from the world's way of viewing things, by trusting in God as king, by relying on God and calling in others to believe in him, the world will despise and reject them, just as it did to Jesus. So the challenge we face as people who have been consecrated is that we must remain in a world that hates us. We have to remain in a world that hates us. We are told very often today, do not remain places that hate you. Do not remain in places that do not affirm and support you. And yet Jesus tells us, remain in the world that hates you. We don't like that. I mean, to be honest, we really don't. And so we try to find two ways to kind of avoid that. To not remain in the world that hates us. One way we are tempted is that we will compromise with the world. We'll say, all right, 
I'll give up some of the truth that the world hates. I'm going to give that up so that the world doesn't hate me as much and I fit in better with the ways of the world. I'll still hold on to some of the truth God wants me to hold on to, but I have to get rid of some of it so the world stops hating me. The world repeatedly asks Christians to do that. To compromise our beliefs, to let go of some of God's truth. But Jesus says in our New Testament reading that we are to be the salt of the earth. And the truth that we have is our saltiness. And if salt loses its saltiness, I mean, what, what is it? Dirt. It's nothing. Jesus says it's only good to be trampled on. And so as believers, we must remain distinct from the world by means of believing in and living out God's truth. We cannot compromise. Okay, well, we can't avoid the hatred that way. We can find another way to avoid the world's hatred. And that is by retreating from the world into our own Christian bubbles. That we fear the social scorn of the world and so we do everything we can to disengage from most of our interactions with the world. Now, to be fair, we need to have Christian gatherings. We need the support of Christian family in the church. Absolutely. But notice that Jesus specifically prays, Father, don't take them out of the world. Don't take them out of the world. Don't take them out of the world because we need to shine like light in a dark world. We can't compromise with the world, but we can't get out of it either. We must endure the world's hatred as we remain in the world as people set apart by God. And you may be thinking, well, that's a horrible idea. We'll take it up with Jesus, okay? So why, why must we stay in the world? Why must we remain in the world? Well, that's the fourth facet of our consecration. There is a purpose to this consecration. Jesus prays in verse 18, As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. We have been set apart by Jesus to be witnesses in the world to his truth. We have been sent to make known the name of God by proclaiming His Word, sharing who Jesus is, what He has done. This is what we have been set apart to do. And that is a very important task. Because each and every one of us in this room here today was once part of the world. Jesus says in verse 14 and 16 that His people are not of the world. And that's true, but it wasn't always true. Because He tells us in verse 6, I manifested Your name to the people whom You gave Me out of the world. The only place God gets people to consecrate is from the world. There's no other store to shop in for God to get people. It's only the world. That's the only place He gets people from. That's the only place He got us from. And the only means of consecrating people out of the world is His truth. And wouldn't you know the way that God has chosen to get His truth across is through His consecrated people. 
Now, this does not mean that we are somehow just cogs in God's salvation machine. Don't think that you are that robot claw arm in the machine where you're trying to get the toy to come out. You're just really bad at grabbing things. You know, God is not using you as some mechanical arm. Not at all. We are heralds of the King. We are sent by our King to announce His victory over the world's sin and death. To announce that anyone who has rebelled against Him is welcome to turn to Him for mercy and forgiveness. That we proclaim that God has open arms to embrace His enemies so that they would become His beloved children. That's what we are called to do. And to be effective witnesses, we must live as consecrated people. We have to be distinct from the world. Proclaiming the truth of God to the world. Living in light of that truth. Yes, we are going to mess up. But every time we mess up, it's an opportunity to share about, hey, our God forgives us. Our God uses imperfect people like us. Uses scared people like Jeremiah. That's the kind of God we have. And so do we see ourselves as consecrated people? Do we see that we have been given to Jesus to be set apart for this holy purpose? And this is who we are. Do we see that each new day that we get to wake up We are waking up as people with a purpose and a mission to be privileged in the way to go and live for God. I think if we're honest, we we don't tend to think that way. We tend not to think of ourselves like that. We think, who am I? Who am I to be a witness to the world? I don't seem very consecrated. There's nothing glowy about me. I don't feel that different. I seem like anyone else out there. And thankfully, Jesus tells us a fifth facet of our consecration. He tells us the power behind our consecration. Because we are often like Jeremiah in our our Old Testament reading. God specifically told Jeremiah... You, yes you, Jeremiah, before you were even born, I set you apart that you are going to be my prophet. And Jeremiah, even though he heard God tell him that, is like, yeah, nah, I think you got it wrong. I'm just a young guy. I'm just a blank. I'm just a whatever. There's an excuse. Jeremiah's was youth. We've got plenty of excuses for why we think we can't do this. And to be fair to Jeremiah, he had no right to be doing what God called him to do if he was only looking at himself. But that's not what God called him to look at. God didn't want him to look at just his own strength, his own abilities. God wanted him to hear the promise that I'm going to be with you to deliver you. That I've consecrated you. I've provided the power to set you apart. That's what Jesus is telling us in verse 19. The end of our passage, Jesus says, And for their sake, I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. 
Now that may seem kind of weird, like why does Jesus need to consecrate or sanctify Himself? He's already holy. He's the Son of God. That's done, isn't it? Well, with the the words, for their sake, He's making us think about the cross. His ultimate for their sake action where Jesus set Himself apart to be an offering for our sin, an atonement for us, that He was set apart for that purpose, sacrificing for us that we then, being sprinkled with His blood like the Old Testament sacrifices, that we, by what He is doing, would then be consecrated to live as His people. That's how it worked in the Old Testament. They would kill something, they would take its blood, and they would sprinkle it on some kind of object or person consecrated. It has now changed. And that is what has happened to us. That it is the power of Jesus that consecrates you. Not your own goodness. Not your own strength of faith. It is the cross that sets us apart. Not our knowledge of the Scriptures. Not the ways God has gifted us. It's Jesus. Because the only power to make sinners like us set apart for God is the blood of Jesus. And if that power has been applied to us, by the Spirit, then we have indeed been consecrated by God and we've been made holy. We have been set apart. That if we have trusted in the blood of Jesus, then we have been called out of a dark world to live as people of light. And I get it. We still may be feeling like Jeremiah. We might fear I'm incapable of living in that way. I've messed up too much. I've missed too many opportunities to live differently in my life. I've been too distracted. I've been too tempted by the world. I I could never endure the hatred that you're talking about, Jesus. I just can't be consecrated the way you want me to be. When we feel that way, it makes a lot of sense when we're looking at us. But when we lift up our eyes to Jesus, who is now in heaven... We see something different. See, Jesus did not return to heaven because he looked at his disciples and said, they're ready. They're trained. They've got it. The world is in great hands. They, you know what, guys? You got it. I'm going to go take it off. Job done. Finished. No, Jesus did not go to heaven because the disciples were ready. He went to heaven to make them ready. For from heaven, he poured out the Holy Spirit upon his people so that the power of Christ would be in us to actually help us live as consecrated people because we are not ready apart from Christ. But Christ makes us ready. So as much as you may doubt your readiness to live as someone set apart by God, know that here in this passage, Jesus is praying for you. Praying for you to be set apart in that way. And Jesus doesn't make mistakes. And Jesus doesn't let us flounder in our own meager strength on our own. That if we doubt our readiness, ask Him to make you ready. Certainly the disciples, as Jesus ascended into heaven, were like, we're so not ready. Why are you leaving? 
If the disciples doubted their readiness and Christ was faithful to empower them, that's a good sign for us. And if all the generations after the disciples thought, I'm not ready, and yet God made them ready and empowered them, that's a good sign for us. Because it means that even today, He is the God who makes us ready, who sets us apart, who consecrates us and empowers us to live as His people, enduring that hatred that others in the world might come to know the privilege we have in Christ of belonging to God. Let us pray. Oh God, I pray that You would give us this vision of ourselves that You tell us in Your Word. Because when we look in the mirror, all we see is us. Our sins, our past, our failures. We see all the reasons why not. But when we look in Your Word, we see ourselves differently. We see ourselves as people set apart and consecrated, sanctified to live for You. We have no right to claim that in our own, but You have claimed it for us and given us those promises that we believe in through Your Word. And so God, help us to see ourselves that way. And to boldly in Your strength live for Jesus Christ in the places that You have set us. Help us to live in this way to be like salt, preventing the decay of the world around us, and to be like light, shining through the darkness around us. And may we know, as unready as we may feel, Christ is there to supply us by His Spirit to live in that manner. Jesus, help us. It's in His name we pray. Amen.